What would be something that would upset you about a dad? Um, if they were too strict. What does that mean by to be too strict? Like, to give orders, like, 24-7. Has your dad ever made you do something you don't want to do? Not really. <laughs> How about watch a lot of soccer and listen to podcasts? Well, yeah, but... That was a few times, and that's not really, really important. I love you, Eden. I love you too, Daddy. Welcome to the Good Courage Podcast. This is Jay Gamlin. This is a podcast for people deconstructing the old ways they think about God and discovering a new language of what God might look like on the other side of that deconstruction. Today we're talking about fathers, gendered language, pronouns, and what it looks like when we try to put God into a box. Quick warning, there's a brief mention of uh, suicide in this podcast. But first, a moment of gratitude. I wish you'd never go. Today I'm grateful for Settlers of Catan. Settlers of Catan is my favorite board game, and I think it's because it's just the right blend of skill and chance. What, what it is is it's this uh, big tile game where you have all these little hexagonal tiles, and on the corners of those tiles you build little settlements and roads and cities, each of these earning you points and expansion to earn more resources, to build more cities and roads, all of these to earn points so that you win. I love it because each it's it, you're you're betting against uh, certain numbers being rolled by two dice, uh, two die, two dice. What's what's the whatever it is, um, and and you're trying to cover that as much as you can while expanding while moving. It's it's just a lot of fun. I like just the regular settlers and the uh, the one with the ships that expansion pack. When you get past that, you kind of lose me because it's more complicating the simple joy of Settlers of Catan. I love playing it with friends. It's cooperative. It's fun. Um, it doesn't require a whole lot of violence or anger to play. It's just a matter of enjoying one another's company. So just want to say I'm thanks to Klaus Tuber who invented it, and I'm thankful for Settlers of Catan. Go buy yours today. For those of you who know me, you're probably not surprised to note that I am a big Ted Lasso fan. Uh, for those who don't know Ted Lasso, it is a TV show uh, airing exclusively on Apple Plus, which follows the fictional story of an American football coach, American football coach, who is sent to teach an English Premier League football, uh, soccer, what we would call in the U.S., uh, team in England. Um, you probably think that I love it because most of you know I'm a giant football fan and watch the English Premier League like crazy. Uh, but it's really not that. Actually, you know, watching the football they play over there, the soccer they play, it's pretty bad. It's not great. No club would be run the way they run the club. It's not very accurate to what that would look like or feel like. And so, you know, it's not really just, I guess, football that makes me attracted to it. Football is really just the environment from which you have this group of characters who are discovering new things about themselves, becoming more self-aware and growing into who they feel they're called to become. So it's really this uh, feel-good show about becoming. Now, before I go any further, 
Um, I would love to recommend you to watch Ted Lasso. I'm going to be talking about it now. If you wanted to watch it and don't want any spoilers, don't keep listening to this. Skip ahead. Uh, I'll, um, I'll let you know how far ahead once I get there. But Okay, so I just looked, and uh, you can scroll ahead to about the 8 minute and 15 second mark, and that will get you past all of the Ted Lasso talk and into just more talk about fathers. So uh, yeah, there you go. And uh, also just a little brief warning that if you do want to start watching the show based on what our conversation here, just know that there's a lot of language there, what Arlo White would call fruity language. And there's a lot of uh, conversation and description and uh, uh, openness in discussing sex. And so if that makes you clutch your pearls, just wanted to give you a heads up that that's a part of the Ted Lasso environment. So uh, I was watching Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is a show I go to when I'm just looking to fill a little time and want a little feel-good pick-me-up. And I was re-watching season two when it occurred to me that season two is really all about fathers and the complex relationship that people have with their fathers. Starting with Ted, uh, Ted's uh, obviously admired and loved his father. And the whole of season two is him coming to grips with his father's suicide. Uh, he admits that he loved his dad, he admired his dad, he looked up to his dad, but then he, he's also extremely angry at his dad for what he calls quitting and giving up. And that is part of what fuels Ted's whole vibe of always being positive and never giving up. And so that's Ted. Uh, Nate, one of the other coaches, the whole of the season, you see Nate just doing everything to win his own father's approval and his father who would never, who just can never seem to be proud of his son. And uh, I remember that by the end of season two, when Nate does this giant about face with his relationship with Ted, and uh, it felt a little awkward and out of the blue, but if you just think about it, it's really about him projecting his dissatisfaction with his own father onto Ted and wanting to be recognized and wanting to be loved and wanting that affection and always feeling like he's always falling short and really his projection onto Ted who had become almost like a surrogate father and then his disappointment with Ted and so it's about yeah it's about that it's about Rebecca the the club owner and her coming to terms with a father who was a philanderer and someone that she caught cheating on her mother and her deep disappointment in her mother for leaving her father and then always coming back and and that that sense that she had of disrespect of her uh, mother for coming back to this philanderer and somebody who wasn't a good person. And then we have um, Sam Obasanya, one of the stars on the team, whose father is actually a positive influence, somebody who encourages him to speak up for justice and goodness and to do the right thing. And uh, they're open affection for each other and saying, I love you to one another. And their contact and communication and and Sam's father is not it refuses to make decisions for Sam but instead just walks alongside him and partners with him and, and becomes a role model for him uh, that's you know Rebecca's father and uh, then of course Jamie Tart who is the superstar on the team and his awful fractious relationship 
with his father who comes across in this as a truly despicable man who is living his own life through his son uh, extremely critical abusive verbally abusive and uh, it, it just gets you to understand a little bit more about why Jamie is the way he is and why he has this hard shell around him and uh, just witnessing his own father so this whole season, I, I'd never picked up on it, is all about fathers and our complex and complicated relationships with our fathers. It uh, makes me think about my own father and about what I have inherited from my father. Uh, my father, who I talked about in the last podcast in my introduction, who was a good man and um, someone that I deeply loved and admired. Um, that I miss deeply who died uh, and how complicated the end of that life with him was he suffered from dementia and how at the end you know it was my mom and I changing his diapers and not being recognized by him and watching him struggle with the slow decline of dementia and how that complicates my feelings with my dad fathers fathers are very complicated uh, and we all have very complicated relationships with our fathers. My, my friends, I have several friends, some to whom I'm very close, had very awful relationships with their fathers, who uh, their fathers were emotionally abusive, ver verbally abusive, sometimes physically abusive, or they witnessed physical abuse. Fathers who were emotionally distant, fathers who put their identity in their work, and not in their family and their kids and thinking a lot about the narratives that we tell ourselves about masculinity about the mythos the stories that we tell ourselves about what a father is about the narratives that we're told about what being a father looks like in our culture and it it, it is all a very very complicated narrative for me, the, the big thing for me is then thinking about my own fatherhood, about what it means to me to be a father to my children, and uh, the ways in which I have been raising my kids to be their best selves, and, and, and how am I loving and caring for their kids. All of this then, of course, connects to what it means whenever we call God Father, when we call the divine a father. There's a lot of conversation in um, many of our theological circles who are struggling with the gendered terms for God, and, and one of the ones I struggle with is that term father. And in the same way that we ascribe any name or concept to God, it's very complicated. Um, it's, it's not as simple as, well, this is what the Bible says, so this is what I'm going to say. it Because whether we like it or not, the language we use for God is very important. Because the language that we use for God is loaded. It's complicated. It's not as simple as, this is what we're told, and so this is what we have to do. Imagine you growing up with a father who uh, was just not a good human. And then the insistence on calling God Father, how complicated that might make your relationship with the divine love. Imagine, imagine 
when we start to load language with our own experiences and cultural tropes and then assign those things to God, how, how this might, while we're trying to create an authentic picture of God, might actually push those away from God. Now, it's easy to get now into the binaries of we either call God this or call God that, but that is also far more complicated than saying never call God Father or, or always call God Father. That we have to start this whole thing by just saying a, a simple understanding about God. God is far bigger, far more complex, wider, more unknowable than any single word we could ever ascribe to the divine. If, if any word comes down to describing God, that word will always end up being too small. The language itself is finite and uh, loaded with cultural context. But God, the divine, is infinite. It's beyond our understanding and cognition. That God it can only be understood through revelation and never through knowledge. And what I mean by that is we see glimpses of the divine song. We see glimpses of the divine plan whenever we encounter love, whenever we encounter justice, when we see the good things of the world coming together. We encounter God through that. But our language will always fall short. Let's talk more about God, language, and metaphor after this quick break. Be 
it's hard for me to describe just how much that song hits me. Now, I love the David Bowie original, and uh, and this is a cover of that, but you know, it's it's got a whole different feel to it, so it's hard to say that one is better than the other. They each have the same center, though, of that deep emotional cry. Now, I know that this was a song that David Bowie recorded when he was in Germany, um, when he was... Um, uh, dealing with his addiction and coming down and struggling with that and it, it it's the 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 oh, the emotion in his voice and that i you catch there at the very beginning of peter gabriel who catches it more out of a whisper rather than david bowie's wail i love that emotion and uh i thought of this song in talking about this because when we talk about masculinity and how frequently we're allowed certain emotions, anger, frustration, uh, we're allowed to be happy, but we're not allowed to have uh, those sad emotions. We're not allowed to weep. We can grieve, but we can't surrender ourselves to that grief, that we have to use that horrible phrase to man up in the face of our pain. I love that this song is just so emotionally naked and vulnerable. So that was Heroes by Peter Gabriel. So let's talk briefly about what it means to say that God is revealed and not understood. It's it's just essentially that the way that we know of the divine in the world is is not necessarily always a cognitive ascent. We've talked about that in terms of faith of, of faith that instead it is a matter of grappling with what we experience in the world and how we see the divine plan active in the world and in that revelation believe that there is a singular conscience that is pushing and advocating for that 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 idea so the idea of love the idea of justice the idea of there being a right way a better way um and, and not just a way that benefits us, but that benefits all of humanity. That is what we might call that Christ conscious placed into um, all of creation from the beginning. And how we encounter that is often not in uh, concrete terms. How, how we often experience this plan is through metaphor, that what we see in the language of, uh, of the sacred texts, the sacred stories, is really much more about God is like rather than God is. Uh, I mean, we see God is love, but then the question comes, well, well, what is love? What is loving our neighbor? What is that? And then then, uh, uh, Jesus goes into the story of the Good Samaritan, or what is the the, the reign of God, the, the dwelling place of God? What is that like? It's like a mustard seed. It's 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 like a pearl of great price. It's it's like uh, bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom to come home. It's it's like these things. So the way that we often see um, the story and the divine is is that we have to put language around metaphor to get to an idea that is bigger than what any finite convention of language might do. So what that means is we don't have a word for God. No word is going to capture or contain God. And instead, we can just get a glimpse of God through story, through idea, through concept, through parable, through metaphor. 
Uh, we see in the uh, Old Testament um, images of God like a mother hen gathering the 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 uh, chicks underneath her wings. Uh, these are all uh, images of God, and uh, and so you know when we talk about and when we talk about God as Father, uh, I think it helps to think of this as more like a metaphor that there is something to the Godhead that we can compare to what we see in our parents. And uh, as most of the language of the Old Testament has been masculine, this language of father took on that language of masculine. And so, you know, this idea of father uh, is actually is, is, is a metaphor. Uh, God is not a father to us as our own earthly fathers are. I, I, for, here's another great metaphor that they use that I think is a good comparison that uh, Jesus calls God the good shepherd. Now, I think what what is important here is it's not just the shepherd. It's the good shepherd. There needed to be a qualifier with shepherd to distinguish it from shepherds that may not have been um, wholly effective or good good at what they did you know the ones that ran away ones that were not healthy and healthy um, healthy and helpful excuse me not healthy <laughs> um but instead so thinking of god as father but not just father i would think requires the qualifier of good father the one who understands and has compassion for the children and can live into that identity as parent in that in that way now again that word is loaded that word comes heavy that word comes complicated and so for us who hear that we have to carry and bear that word carefully um, what happens I believe often in the conversation around uh, gender and pronouns and use of pronouns for God and um, can we use father should we not use father um, can we use he should we use she can we call God mother can we do we need to replace all pronouns is is I, I I want us to just simply start to say maybe we just need to eliminate the idea of boxes completely that we need to eliminate the idea that we can never call God father or we can always call God father that there is a sense in which we need to say that when we use Father, we use it deliberately, and we use it intentionally, and we use it carefully, and we use it in a way that shows that we understand and ex and can explain why we are using that term, rather than using it arbitrarily as a have to. Um, and so, so to say then there are no boxes, then of course we can call God mother i'm so surprised still surprised at just how offended uh some of my more hard right conservative theological uh, siblings are that they are so incensed by god being called mother um clearly they're operating from a, a fear-based economy still that you know this is how god was revealed this is what we're to use for god when when this was not God's name. This is not the name of God. This was an attribute that that Jesus, in particular, highlighted. The word, calling God Father uh, was pretty rare in the Old Testament. They talked about Father of a nation and a few times Father's individuals, but it was really Jesus' use of Father 
um, makes me wonder um, just what sort of relationship Jesus had with his father. And I'm, I would assume that Jesus had a fairly healthy relationship with his father. I'm, I, that's what I'm guessing. Uh, what little we know of Joseph, which is hardly anything, but what little we know is that Joseph was honorable, that Joseph, um, when given the idea, uh, the, the possibility of dismissing Mary for being pregnant, um, without Joseph's baby, which is, is completely understandable that Joseph was going to dismiss her quietly, wasn't going to make a big fuss out of it, but was clearly saying, not my baby, something's going on here, I'm, I'm not going to marry this one, but yet turned and still raised this boy as his own. Uh, I mean, so there's possibly, and, and this is com- pure conjecture, that Jesus had a good relationship with his own father and therefore had a comfort with calling God father, calling God into this relational space. The other thing to note about this idea of Jesus using that term father is that there was a closeness that um, that term brought a personality to this. When Jesus taught uh, the disciples to pray and said, use words like this, he, uh, he said, our father. But what was more radical, at one, the, the, it was radical enough to call God in that personal term, that idea of Abba, the um, Av being Hebrew for father, and Abba meaning um, the, the deeply intimate personal father, the, the daddy, the, the papa, um, that intimate. But then also that key word of our that the relationship that Jesus had with God is one that we share, that this is a divine presence, a parent that belongs to all of us. Um, so to call God uh, uh, Father and bringing God intimate also means that we can bring in the intimacy of the parent that we might know as mother, that, um, that this is also an intimate and personal response. That the offense that some people have of calling God mother is 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 clearly just um, that fear-based economy, like I said, um, and and also just trying to hold so closely to saying that if we if we uh, dilute scripture, if we move from uh, the the sacred texts, that somehow God becomes less. Well, I believe God is bigger than that, and that God uh, doesn't need the box of father, and that the word mother can also be. Uh, a personal and beautiful word for God, but also can have the exact same baggage and complications as father, that we don't always have blessed mothers. Mothers aren't always happy and healthy to us. So in the same way that we hold father, we have to hold mother carefully and, and, and understand it as metaphor and understand it as descriptor of an attribute of God and not the totality of God. And for those who wrestle with just gendering God as purely masculine, I, I'm not sure I've got enough time and even want to put a lot of energy into dignifying that argument. It, it's just sort of silly. I, you know, simply look at, uh, go to Genesis. We were created in the, in the impression of God, um, masculine and feminine, that we were both made in the image of God. And then, and then further into uh, Paul um, on several instances saying that we are neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, 
um, this isn't so much saying we aren't those things anymore. It's that those distinguishing, those binaries, those dualistic responses are no longer how we are defined. We are one. So God is actually eliminating the binary and saying that we are both male and female, that we're, we're no longer distinguishing that, but that all are one in Christ Jesus and that we can let go of those um, those titles, those uh, constructs that we have created, um, and we can say that they they are that in in God we have the non-binary. We have the God who is both male and female because we are both created in the image and impression of God, and that both are made in the image and impression of God. So why are we left with all these gendered pronouns? Why are we left with uh, the he's of scripture. Let's just take one more break and we'll talk about that in just a moment. God is not a man. God is not a white man. God is not a man sitting on a cloud. God cannot be bought. God will not be boxing. God will not be owned by religion. But God is love. God is love. And he loves everyone. God is love. God is love. And he loves everyone. is not a man God is not an old man and God does not belong to Republicans and God is not a flag not even American and God does not depend on a government but God is good White Man by Gunger from his 2008 album Ancient Skies. Uh, just a good one and makes a lot of sense and very appropriate to this conversation. So something to think about. So why do we have these pronouns that we use for God and why are most of our pronouns he? Uh, you know, it, it's a common theme throughout most of uh, religions that depending on whether they're more patriarchal, which means that they tend to put more power into mothers, I mean, aswila, that's just the opposite, into more masculine male power or matriarchal, uh, more motherly power, that the language that they use for their divine tends to follow along the same the same route. And so if you were to speak to uh, someone from the Jain tradition, they would have more of a feminine understanding of God. The Baha'i tradition has more of a feminine understanding of God. And in most of the uh, Abrahamic faiths, the, the three monotheistic, main monotheistic faiths, I should say, uh, they came from a patriarchal tradition, which meant that they take on the images of power, which in those traditions are masculine. So they tend to be 
patriarchal and and in a system that we don't have pronouns that work very well for a non-gendered uh, uh, god, deity, or person, we end up making a choice. And so the choice was to call God and label God as masculine. And so we used he and him for God. Let, let me just say that um, that is the tradition. That's what's been handed down. Um, I am one. I'm a person that I try not to use gendered pronouns for God. A um, couple of reasons for that. I try not to because one, um, whether we want it to or not, it sends a message to people that are not who don't identify as male that they are less. Um, whether we like it or not, it's just true, and and it's seeped into our theological culture for hundreds if not thousands of years that um, only men can be priests that um, men were given power and control that women were considered um, just um, uh, the source of evil because of Eve and there's all these terrible theologies that came out denigrating women and uh, and it's just you know so it, whether we like it or not if we are singularly only to gall God he, it, it whether we mean it to or not nail puts into the brain of, of younger children and older alike that God is purely masculine and and if you were to ask anyone of with with any kind of um, put, who's put any sort of thought into this you'd have to say no they don't that that God is far beyond gender that God is far beyond the boxes and binaries of gender and so um, so I avoid them um, uh, I, I do use gendered pronouns on occasion, sometimes calling God he, sometimes calling, calling God she, um, in part because sometimes you need a pronoun, and I don't know of a great uh, non-gendered pronoun. I kind of like they and them. Um, uh, you know, when, you, when we talk about uh, God said, let's make them in our image at the beginning, there, there is a plurality in that. Uh, maybe signifying the Trinity and the holy dance, but I don't understand the Trinity all the way. I don't know what it means to call people they and them. I mean, I know what it means to them. I know why that is an important gender. Don't get me wrong, but you know, but we, it's not the perfect pronoun yet because it still has this cultural implicitness of plurality. But maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. There's a whole lot there. There's a whole big longer conversation about pronouns, but. Uh, but so I can use any of these pronouns, but just like I would, I, I hold these pronouns, uh, I, just like I would hold calling God Father, and I would be intentional about that, and that it would be important to me to use it in that particular way, or call God Mother and holding that carefully with my palms open and carefully, um, and holding that gently and uh, understanding that it brings baggage. I, I do the same with any time I use a gendered pronoun for God and try to carry that gently. So, you know, I think, and this is just Jay, this is just where I'm coming from. I, I, I want us all to be aware of the language that we're using to talk about God. And I want us to be very conscious about why we're choosing those words and, and not just conscious for ourselves and saying, well, it's an important word to me. Everybody else just needs to sort of deal with it, but saying conscious, it's an important word to me. 
and for others, I need to be careful. I need to use that word with care for them because I don't want to give them a false impression of God as just being an old white man in the sky, that God is far beyond that. Um, let me just tell you, let me just end with this story about why the term father is important to me. The best way that I have been able to experience the God-blessed given love in the universe is through my children. My kids mean more to me than just about anything on the planet. And my love for my kids is utterly explosive in the most beautiful way. I, When I see my kids, my heart swells and I grow it grows three sizes like the Grinch whenever whenever any of them hugs me. Um, my love for them is utterly complete. I am certain that there is nothing that my kids could do that would ever change my love for them. And there's nothing that they could do that would make me love them any more or any less. That my love for them is utter and complete. And that means even if my kids turn their back on me, I would spend the rest of my days seeking them to have life abundant, um, that I would do anything to protect and shield them, that I don't do this, um, I, I, I don't love them because of a reward or because they love me. I love them purely even if they were to hate me, um, even if they were to threaten my life, my last words would be, I love you. And this is the best way that I can understand of how the divine love works toward me. That this, that this is an image of the divine plan of absolute love. A love that is not dependent on how much I would love the divine, but out of pure love for me. The, the first John 4 uh, 7 and following text that I that I say is my favorite there's a part in the middle of it says it says this is love not that we loved God but that God had deep unconditional merciful love for us that that is love that that God out of deep love for us surrendered all so that we would have life abundant not to kill us not to punish us not to throw us into the fire but that we might have life that we can live a new way that we can participate in the divine plan now and today and the best way i understand that as 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 a father myself i, I my my dadhood is my best understanding of how god loves me and so I, I use the word father um, on occasion. I, I, I treasure that word because of my own identity as father, not because I believe that God is purely father and only father, but because when I think of how I love my kids, that is how I want my kids to love me. And so, yes, I hold it carefully. I hold it um, gently, but... I'm also not going to let it go. I know that these aren't complete thoughts, and there are many blogs and ideas and uh, many contradictory opinions to what I've shared here today. Those are all wonderful, and I'm thankful for the conversation. 
happening around using gendered terms for God. Um, but I offer this here to you today um, simply to say maybe, maybe let's get ourselves out of the boxes of pure yeses and pure noes and hold on to the great and holy maybe of the words that we use for God. Thank you for listening to the Good Courage Podcast. As always, if you like this podcast or if you have ideas here that you think are worthy of being shared, please do so. Like and share to your heart's content. Our theme music is by the incredible Matt Fagan, and I can be reached with any articles or things to help me grow as a person at thehouseofgoodcourage at gmail.com. Until next week, good courage. Thank you.